This episode of AFI in Conversation was produced by Megan Hall for AFI with music by Steve Crump. The Australian Association for Flexible and Inclusive Education acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands and waterways of Australia, particularly the lands and waterways on which today's episode was recorded. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the stories, the culture and the hopes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the country. We acknowledge that your sovereignty has never been ceded. AFI also acknowledges the strength and vibrancy that young people bring to flexible and inclusive education programs and to the Australian community as a whole. Everybody and welcome to Athean Conversation. My name is Julianne Sefton Green and I'm a professor at Deakin University. And today's episode, um, I'm delighted to be joined by somebody I've come to think of as a friend, Taryn Marks, who works at the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience, or AIM for short, but she'll talk a little bit more about that. And the subject of today's conversation is uh, mentoring. So we want to try to talk about how it might work in practice and what it means as a kind of set of values and experience. So Taryn, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? I can do. Hello, everyone. Great to to join and uh, to hopefully be helpful in this discussion. Um, So I'm a Wachabalik woman from Western Victoria in Australia and um, have been part of the AIM world. Uh, I was a board of director, or it's a director on the board and uh, have moved into uh, general management recently. And AIM, some may be familiar, um, has grown out of Redfern in in Sydney, Australia as um, a mentoring organisation and working predominantly with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people here in Australia. Um, I just want to also acknowledge Um, the countries that we are meeting on today. And uh, I'm joining you from Wadawurrung country, um, which is Geelong in West, uh, Southern Victoria. Thanks so much, Taryn. Um, And AIM's uh, email uh, website, by the way, is called AIM Mentoring, A-I-M-E mentoring.com for future reference. And I'm sure we'll put that into the Um, material that accompanies this conversation. So let's begin by talking a little bit about mentoring in general as an experience. Um, And just talk, um, before we talk a little bit more, before we move on to the way it could be structured and organized uh, professionally, can we just begin by talking a little bit more about um, perhaps work you've, or experiences, not work, that you've had as a mentee and perhaps conduct as a mentor um, and perhaps talk a bit about that. So what do you think, how would you define mentoring and tell us a little bit about some of your experiences of it from from both sides? 
Um, it's a good question because I think there's so many variations on the thought um, and the role of a mentor that people have and formal and informal um, mentors exist and peer-to-peer mentors exist. And for me, I've had um, great mentors, I guess, pro- professionally that have been both informal and formal mentors throughout my um, career and um, more recently, um, I guess, in both career and personal, I think a great mentor is somebody that that really takes interest and care in, in both of those things. But um, for my experience, I um, did some um, training in mentoring separately to, to being associated with, with AIM um, through the Australian Indigenous Leadership Centre. And it really, I guess, brought to, to mind the fact that mentoring should be a reciprocal experience um, and it's uh, in the AIM world very much about time, knowledge and opportunities that a mentor can provide but um, generally speaking I think that mentoring is a reciprocal experience between a mentor and a mentee um, because it is a two-way learning experience um, very often and hopefully something that um, even uh, I guess if, as you're being guided by potentially more experienced people that, that they're actually learning something about you as a mentee. Um, if you think of that um, in, I, I guess, that structured context of, of somebody maybe having more knowledge that they're sharing with, with their mentee. Um, but it, it is something that I think is is quite ambiguous. It's It can be in my experience that people maybe don't set up or formalise the structure and it's much better in my mind if the structure is formalised and, and spoken about. So so I'm 62 now and I don't know that I've ever had a formal mentor in my life, but there are definitely people who um, I look up to and who I've learnt from over the years, particularly I think in um, certain professional kind of area so somebody who's older and more experienced and the way that they've talked to me and given me advice have you got experiences you'd like to share about um, aspects of your career and your life where you feel mentoring has taken a particular role Um, definitely I've had early in my career um, a wonderful mentor or I guess in um, a great CEO when I was working in um, health promotion and primary health care. And uh, I guess that person at the particular time in my career just took an interest in being able to help connect me to um, Indigenous knowledges and the work, um, I guess, that would bring me closer to supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, as an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, or an Aboriginal person, um, it was important, I think, to make that connection to my work um, where I was working broadly. It was wonderful to have a non-Indigenous person really help draw me back to ways in which my work could benefit my community and have great meaning to me. So that's probably the experience that comes most to mind. But when I took up the role as general manager of, of AIM, I wanted to to be able to walk the talk, I guess. And so one of the first things that I did was offer the opportunity for mentoring um, to my um, my staff and um, our team to make sure that that opportunity was available um, to 
to be able to extend and, and recognise the value that it had for me. We've got a, long, a lot of young people that work in our organisation, um, but a lot of people in early stages of their career, not necessarily young, that I wanted to make sure that they had um, that accessibility and didn't feel like my role as a general manager meant that I wasn't um, in a position to give them guidance and, and mentoring, as well as just be a good kind human to, to be working with as a colleague and um i i was it's ironic we were just while you were talking my phone just went and it's actually from somebody who describes me as uh, somebody who's a professor in south korea who describes me as her mentor and i never knew why i got this job as it were because i just thought i was being uh uh friendly to somebody or helpful um are you anybody's mentor and and how formal do you think of the mentoring relationship um, we at AIM, um, so other than that offer, I, I did make that uh, as an offer and have structured that with staff to set up time with me and we have um, monthly, bi-monthly check-ins. But as an organisation, we strongly encourage um, that all of our team members have a what we call a board of advisors and it really is establishing those mentor relationships. And we also have um, a mentoring residence program that we have implemented last year that um, connects our emerging and our leaders um, in the organisation to people around the world that um, can offer time, knowledge and opportunities and um, have a sense of connection, I guess, to the work of AIM. And those mentoring residents, um, we're on our second cycle of mentors in residence. Um, just that, that particular experience is structured as three one-hour um, sessions and they go over three months. They are um, with um, some structure and some guidance of how to set up the discussion around um, identity um, and also other areas that just provoke good discussion, but also sort of create an experience that does have an end. And so um, AIM really does promote the fact that even with the young people we're working with, um, that a mentoring experience is structured um, and that there is an end, there is um, an experience that is um, formalised in a way that our young mentees enter the program and they may stay with, with the AIM program for part of their schooling or all of their schooling. But um, ultimately, we believe we're mentors, not saviours, and would like to always see that at some stage, the young person becomes, um, uh, I guess, able to, to move on and, and feel like they've had that experience that has given them the opportunity to, to take the stage and get on with their education, either in a tertiary setting or um, entrepreneurial opportunities. Can I just ask you um, another sort of slightly side question? You, you mentioned particularly um, being mentored in ways of Indigenous knowing um, and the CEO from Geelong you talked about. Have you, um, has gender uh, ever been a particular issue for you in terms of mental relationships? Um, I ask because, well, you go on, you can. <laughs> I think uh, I, I don't see that as a barrier. I think that um, there's been times that 
I've worked with women and um, Indigenous women. Um, I've worked with Indigenous men. I've worked with non-Indigenous men. And I think there's times, particularly from an Indigenous knowledge's perspective, that um, uh, men's and women's business plays an important role. And that's a very separate discussion to a mentoring relationship that's, that's more about cultural protocols. But I think particularly for me, it's really about the value of the opportunity for two people and that reciprocity that should occur for two people. So where that is the case, that that's male and female or um, otherwise, I, I think it's more about what the opportunities as you say whether that's um for your experience that you thought you were being nice um that you um, are thought of as a mentor to to others and uh that would be based on that person really believing there was value there saying was that we've been talking a little bit about trust and reciprocity um, and there's a big issue in mentoring that often it's a relationship between unequals it's a relationship between somebody who's kind of in a novice or, or initiate of first timer kind of situation somebody who's older more experienced so obviously that's often a power imbalance and I remember from my own experience looking up to people and wanting their approval and um, um, and it's not that I knew, wanted guidance because I didn't know what I didn't know kind of thing. And then when I become a mentor, often I feel I've become an accidental mentor. I don't know about you. And, and that's often just like by expressing a kind of interest in somebody or being supportive without even sort of thinking twice about it. And I just wondered whether you've got any thoughts about how what what mentoring just all means in practice in just those kind of moments that seem to make a difference. Have you got any Anything to, to say about that? Uh, I think what comes to mind when you talk there, Julian, is the origins of when Jack particularly set up um, AIM um, in his very first experience of being at a university as an Aboriginal person and feeling like he couldn't see anybody else that was like him. Um, and knowing that that was the experience of other Aboriginal high schoolers and young people, um, the very premise of the mentoring relationship that was established was bringing those that had more privilege into the, the relationship so that it was an opportunity for two-way exchange and it was a way that you try to break down those power imbalances and that those power imbalances that have been caused by structures that are beyond us or designed with, you know, exactly that intent to create a power imbalance. And so um, as you described that, I think it is um, really about trying to think about education particularly and the role of the mentor in um, the, its, its current Currently that we are in a world where digital technology has changed access to information. It's changed the role of the teacher. 
Um, it has changed the role of university education. Um, it is questioning, um, you know, university education and questioning, you know, the appropriate ways in which we um, engage people that just find irrelevance in the education system. And so think why mentoring and breaking down, particularly that power structure, the very nature of education sets up that a teacher is standing at the front of the room and um, if they're not able to step over the line and be familiar with the young people in the room and particularly those that don't feel seen, um, the role of the mentor is really important in that to be able to help young people feel seen where perhaps the system is actually not catering for them. And so the power question I think is really important in um, both the personal sense, but also in what can be created if we do accept that environments need to consider that there will be out of a classroom of 25 kids, maybe 10 of them that are not actually engaged and that, that teacher and the role of the mentor becomes really important to get to those 10 that are not engaged. And I'm not speaking for specific to, uh, to specific data um, there. It's just really a uh, example, I guess, of the classroom not necessarily always being uh, fully engaged. So what we've done there is we've moved slightly from talking about mentoring as a relationship in professional life. So the mm. kind of experiences I was talking about or you talked about um, are, are about people's um, guidance and support structures as they work their way through through forms of employment or um, in broader cultural terms. And then you started talking just now, very interestingly, about mentoring relationships in classrooms, in formal education systems. Um, so what, what has happened over in recent years is that people have taken the mentoring relationship, which used to exist outside of a teaching and learning situation, and seen how it can be implied within schools or universities um, and also that raises a lot of questions about the ways whether teachers can be mentors or whether there's a kind of conflict in roles there. So what you've, what you've started doing is move us on to the second part of the, the next part of the conversation where um, we, people have taken mentoring as a sort of a way of being with somebody and a set of relationships that are developed and seen what can happen when we try to organize them at scale, when we try to turn them into practices. How do you think AIM has addressed the problem of moving it to scale and of sort of institutionalising mentoring relationships in this way? Mm. Um, a good question. It, it certainly was COVID that probably um, helped us to accelerate what was part of a strategy in any case but had to be accelerated with the COVID disruption. But um, I guess... Again, going back to the, the digital access to knowledge that many students have and acknowledging that not all students actually do have digital accessibility. Um, many students, I guess, are in an environment where they're learning beyond the classroom. They're learning from devices. They're gaining knowledge through um, all sorts of um, stimulus. It's important to think about the role of the teacher and the role of the educator in in that context and the shifting dynamic. And AIM has built its model um, through a digital and online learning platform to share some of the resources that we have previously delivered through our programs um, between university students and high schoolers. 
and started to take these resources to create a library that is useful for teachers to, um, I think the confusion of how that conflict could occur, um, it's still about um, a structured environment and um, an environment where a teacher has a role, they're not a friend, um, they are still a teacher. Um, but giving them a new set of tools and a new way of being able to ensure that those that might be sitting up at the back of the classroom and not feeling heard and not feeling seen can actually feel heard and seen by different ways of, of, um, of teaching and learning. Um, but in that role of the mentor that we have described, we've, we've created um, a model of scale through the digital platform. And um, I think now also acknowledging that um, there are many interpretations of then how you could use that stimulus. We don't, um, we have, we've partnered with uh, Cool Australia to be able to, to marry that particularly to the Australian curriculum. But um, we generally promote that in a creative way um, and using particularly creative um, learning and um, our aim values to, to drive, I guess, those lessons and to drive that way of teaching, which um, because it's not always lined up against the curriculum, it could be adapted and modelled across the world. Okay, brilliant. Thanks. So you, you just talked there, I think, about some of the challenges in the mentoring process of, about the mainstreaming. How, how would you... Um, AIM set itself up in a particular context. Um, would you like to see some of the principles of mentoring mainstreamed into other aspects of the education system? Um, and also, or not, as it were, so. Um, I think uh, absolutely yeah. we believe that at the heart of um, the role of the mentor and particularly the way that we approach mentoring is imagination. Um, and so, we use particularly imagination for the reason that um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and other uh, young people outside of the margins, very often they're facing a, a deficit narrative or um, discourse that really needs to be changed. And so imagination has been set, I guess, therefore, as the premise to begin um, a new um, narrative and to... Uh, you know, reimagine all sorts of opportunities as a young person um, and to be guided through reimagining um, those sorts of opportunities. And it sounds maybe like it can be um, a little bit flippant, but it also is a really important time. We refer to the likes of um, Sir Ken Robinson and his um, way of talking about creativity um, and, you know, the importance of creativity for um, human behaviour, but also human knowledge and future development and, you know, solving the world's big problems. Um, AIM has begun to, to think very similarly about the role of imagination in everyone's learning. So the application is not necessarily, um, therefore, just set to, to work with marginalised young people or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people it is actually a good time to question, do we really have enough imagination in our curriculum? And what even is imagination? Um, where, does it, where does it stop? Because um, there is good evidence to suggest that outside of kindergarten, it begins to 
diminish and it is really um, a, an important time in human history to, to think about the role of imagination. So being a bit mean then, um, how do you, um, and being deliberately sort of anti-creative, um, how do you think, what do you think are the best ways to measure the impact of mentoring and how, how what kinds of, what, how do we know whether it's successful or whether it's just like a, a tenet of faith? Um, well, we've certainly measured impact through post-school pathways. And so for our young people, it is following their journey um, through high school into post-school pathways. And so it is therefore quite a serious metric that is able to be applied. Um, but I think, you know, there's varied ways of looking at that impact um, with high schoolers, um, within universities, within entrepreneurial pathways, um, ways that you can see that you are actually fostering somebody's growth. And um, there would be also psychological elements of growth um, that we'd love to, I guess, um, I'd, I'd like to talk about particularly that in, in this discussion, because whilst we can put this against um, frameworks of how much you've achieved in your post-school pathways and can think about uh, tertiary education, what we change hopefully and mostly is a young person's mindset for the rest of their lives. So that is a significant psychological shift that you can, you know, apply, I guess, to trying to measure as a contributor um, and a mentor to a young person's journey. Mentoring is often something that people take on as extra, like you either take it on as a personal responsibility. Um, when I started my job at Deakin, I found it was part of my job description and nobody, you know, it's like a thing I'm meant to do in certain kinds of, I mean, as opposed to something that I care about doing. I'm being slightly facetious, obviously. Do you think, I mean, do you ever think that um, it will stop being seen as a, an extra and people will start investing in mentoring uh, and what would you be optimistic about that in Australia? Um, it's a, a fantastic discussion because um, we've talked about this frequently of volunteering and depending on where you are in the world how much people you know value the the role of a volunteer and we aim try to promote that we truly believe that the mentor is the highest order of being that you you know it's an amazing thing to be able to give back to somebody um, your time and your knowledge and even the opportunity of um, a connection um, a leg up to whatever that may be in you know a young person's journey but it it extends to to um, I guess a lifelong experience really um, so I think that yeah it is hopefully something that is not seen as um, time consuming but it is something that is fulfilling and gives that greater purpose to to everybody that participates um, but it's something that people seek out and we're not great always um, at volunteering particularly here in Australia um, and ways in which we're looking at our uh, structured mentoring and the role of 
um, our imagination presidents, um, they're called in the AIM program, um, that, that run the, the mentoring programs in universities and, and recruit the mentors and bring the young people together in the high school setting. Um, we're looking at ways in which you can actually micro-credential what this young person is, is doing alongside of their degree and that you're actually setting up, um, you know, a structure around a young person that's going through their degree, that's running a program, de de developing leadership skills, volunteering time, and also figuring out how to organise change and, and connect in their community, that that alongside their degree becomes so relevant when they become um, in, you know, their, their future um, they're in an employment scenario. Um, we're creating critical skills for a young person by giving them that opportunity to, to set up a mentoring structure. So there's absolutely, I think, capacity to be able to really look at this as um, not just nice to have, but quite necessary. Great. So a final question then, because we're probably coming to the end of our time. So AFI, as you know, is as um, works with uh, the community of educators broadly defined in flexible and informal um, education environments, often in very uh, challenging circumstances in small rural communities, in large cities. Um, what would be your, if you had a sort of, um, you know, a, a, a magic wish uh, scenario, what would you do to organise, implement and evaluate mentoring across Australia? And, and um, why would you think it, that's one part of the question. The second part is why do you think it's, or do you think it's especially important for the AFI community and the kinds of environments and schools and out of schools that we've been talking about? Um, well, without doing a massive plug for AIM, um, I would certainly love for, for um, people to consider enrolling in our Imagination University because we have tried to create that experience that there is something for everybody to take from um, our, our offering and um, we have various streams and create um, the online learning tools and have provided this for free. We've flipped what was previously delivered in a lecture theatre in a university to be a tool um, toolkit available to um, to others, and so I'd really encourage um, the community to look at those resources, as you said, Julian, on amentoring.com. But I think it is um, to be um, thinking about my my wish is um, particularly in our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that um, are facing very challenging circumstances of communities that are very disengaged, high juvenile justice um, rates and, um, you know, communities that just actually really don't know where to turn and, and actually find solutions for their young people. Um, I think the policy setting is, is in great need of being able to um, resource and support um, resource and support um, these models that are actually trying to cater for what is a growing number of young people. And justice reinvestment is an example in the States and here in Australia that is particularly trying to do that. But um, there's, there's definitely, I think, the policy settings that can be looking at ways in which um, some of these structures can actually be um, really valued for what they're providing and, and given the opportunity to be further extended. Brilliant. 
All right. Um, I think I'm going to um, call an end to the conversation now. So I just want to thank you ever so much, Taryn, and wish you and AIM all the best. And to thank you so much for your time and commitment to AFI and for chatting in this way. And I've really enjoyed the experience. And um, thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Julian. And thank you to the community. Hope it was um, enjoyable listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of AFI in Conversation. For our next episode, AFI's Dale Murray will chat with Dr Tom Brunzel from Berry Street. Until then, take it easy.